so I meant to say this during announcements, but we have these uh, little slips of paper in the uh, lobby uh, on our small group bulletin. And so you can just take these home. They have all the groups listed, meeting times, uh, phone numbers for the group leaders. So if, if you're here and you, you want to discreetly get all the information, you just pick one of these up and you can act on it at your convenience. It's also all on the website. Um, all right, let's dig in. The church, a broken and beautiful bride. This is a series that we will begin today and we'll work through this fall. It is not meant to correspond every single week to whatever you read in your small groups and, and discuss together there, but it is meant to complement. So when I enjoy a steak, and I really enjoy a steak, if I have mashed potatoes on the side, mm, I enjoy the steak all the more. Uh, a, a good movie, uh, buttery popcorn and a Dr. Pepper, Mm, I really like that combination. They're complements, right? They're, they're not the same thing. And so we are going to study what the Bible, specifically the New Testament, has to say about the church. And uh, it says quite a bit. And a lot of it is easy to miss because it's kind of in between the line stuff. But nonetheless, it is there. So this is a series on the doctrine of the church. Doctrine is... Uh, fancy word that just means the clear teaching of scripture. And one of my friends uh, down in Stillwater, a pastor friend of mine, has said that this is, in his opinion, one of the most undertaught doctrines out of all of them. And as uh, Protestants, it's easy to underteach about the church because we don't believe that the church has equal authority with the Bible. But nonetheless, the Bible talks about the church. So that's what we're going into the church. What is it? Is it an obligation for good Christians to attend? Is it an ancient relic of society that's just kind of lingering? You know, it used to be relevant, but it's just kind of lingering from a bygone era. Is it where nice people go to get nicer? Is it the world's most despicable Ponzi scheme? Because if it is a Ponzi scheme, it is the world's most despicable one. So with that being said, if you're new here, or if you ever bring someone new here, there's absolutely no pressure when we pass the offering bags. God doesn't need any of your money, and you can tell your friends that. Or if you're here, or others aren't able to give, no one's looking, or at least they shouldn't be. And... Uh, that's one of the many ways the church has shown her brokenness throughout history. All these questions, is it where nice people go to get nicer, an ancient relic of society, a Ponzi scheme? These are all questions I've heard, and at different points in my life, I have felt some of it myself. And there's so much more. This is kind of a loaded, sensitive, touchy issue. When we talk about the church, there's so much more that it brings up that we can't even touch on today. But this is an incredibly important subject. And it's not important because we're so great, but because Jesus is so great and he has chosen to call the church his bride. So the church is a broken and a beautiful bride. 
So what is the church? Someone might think, Ben, open your eyes. This is it right here. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Because it's not this building and it's not this service. The church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. Simply put, the church is the people. It is the people of God. But you've, and most of you, you know, you've probably heard that, you know this, but I, just think about this. Do we refer to the church that way? For example, some of our small groups meet here on the property and, and they could be asked, where does your small group meet? And the answer could be at the church, referencing the building. Or someone could ask you, what are you doing Sunday morning? I'm going to church, which makes it sound like a location or an event. And I'm not saying this to correct you or to give you permission to correct other people. I'm just pointing out how easy it is to get the wrong idea in our head about the church and what it is. More specifically, who we are. And this is something that we absolutely have to know. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at confusion around the church and hopefully gain a little bit of clarity. But first, I want to talk about the confusing aspects of the church. Um, so if you're confused, that, that's like as we go through this next part, that's kind of my goal <laughs> to help you see. This, this can be confusing both to people who have been in the church and especially to people outside of the church. So Listen to this. Technically, right now, we're gathered as a church, okay? But I'm willing to say there are some here who are not the church, meaning they haven't yet committed to follow Jesus. They're, they're not yet the called out ones of God. And if that's you, I just wanna, want you to know we are so glad you're here. You actually belong here. And ironically, if you weren't here, if we're a church that never really has people who are unchurched kind of coming in and checking it out, that's a sign that we're not a very healthy church. Isn't, isn't that ironic? I think that's ironic. The called out ones, but we've got to be lovingly calling others out. So the confusing aspect of the church. Get this. If a group doesn't call itself a church, like your small group, or a college ministry, it probably isn't a church. Straightforward enough, they don't call themselves a church, they're probably not a church. But just because a place does call itself a church doesn't mean that Jesus would call it a church. Confusing? Because Jesus said to the churches in Revelation, to, to, to some of the seven, he's saying, if you don't repent... I'm going to take this church out. I'm going to remove my presence, making you, you can call yourself a church. He doesn't stop people from putting that on the sign, but effectively, they're no longer a church when his presence is removed. So a church can, or a place that doesn't call itself a church isn't a church, but just because you call yourself a church doesn't mean you're a church, biblically speaking. Here's another confusing aspect. Uh, some people look at the church as, if I take care of the church, the church will take care of me. And their salvation is tied to their involvement with the church. And that's just not true. That's, that's not true at all. But your Savior, the only source of salvation, he has chosen to tie himself to the church. 
he has chosen to love the church and call her his bride. Members of a local church may or may not really be members of the invisible universal church. But the invisible church is visible through involvement in the local church. Confusing? It would be to someone walking in here for the first time. Invisible church? What? Local? So I'm getting all these ideas from the Bible. Um, Time prevents me from unpacking now. This is just a series overview. But here's another confusing aspect of the church. The church is a cradle-to-grave ministry, meaning from the moment your newborn is born, the church is designed to minister to that little baby and also to the most elderly among us walking the earth. But just if, if you haven't had someone in the cradle for a while as a church, or if you haven't had someone who's super elderly for a while as a church, that does not mean you cease to be a church. Confusing? <laughs> We don't find our identity in how many people or the range of people, but the church is designed, biblically speaking, to minister to the world, all kinds of people. And so currently, like right now, as I wrote this message, we have no high schoolers, like committed, coming to church on a regular basis. But if you're here, man, we've been praying for you to come. So uh, that's awesome. But we're not worried about losing our church status because we don't have any high schoolers. We're still a church. So we in this local room are a local church. At the same time, we're not the whole local church. We're missing some pieces that are committed to us. So confusing. We are the church, but uh, every week it seems like, you know, for whatever reasons, people are gone and stuff. So the whole church isn't here. The whole Orchard Community Church isn't here. So we are the church, and at the same time, we are not the whole church universally. That means people that we know as River, City Life, New Anthem, Eastminster, Magdalene, New Spring, and many others in Australia, China, New England, and Brazil. They are the church together with us universally. But Peter also writes in the New Testament to to church leaders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So there, there is a way in which we are all the church together, but we have to show up in local churches. So it, it's, a, it's a confusing thing, I think, for people who have been in church their whole life, and especially to people who are kind of on the outside looking in. And you might be thinking, you might have been thinking early on in this message, Ben, I'm on to you. My, sten- my skin started to crawl When I saw that first slide, this is unabashed self-promotion. The pastor is going all used car salesman on us now, and and he's not going to let us walk out until he closes the deal. Look, I've got no deal to close. I am not selling anything. And I'm just simply trying to tell you what God's word says, which is that we are the church. We are the church. There is a sense in which our identity is in Christ individually, but the New Testament talks about it collectively, our identity in Christ together. And I might say some things today or in the future that offend you or that you disagree with me, and I could be wrong. Search the scriptures. I I could be wrong. Engage me. Email me. The 
the church email that's on the website, I check it. I'm the one. So I can handle it. Blow up my inbox. But also recognize this is a series, so my answer or clarifications might come later. But I just have to say, what we're doing is not self-promotion during this series. What we're striving after is corporate sacrifice. Romans 12.1, Paul says, after unpacking the gospel beautifully in Romans 1 through 11, he says in Romans 12 verse 1, therefore, I urge you all, that's a plural, I urge you all, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, now I know some of you don't like grammar, but bodies is plural, present you all's bodies as, look at this, one, singular, living, holy sacrifice. This is acceptable to God, your spiritual or rational service of worship. That's really what we're trying to drive at here, is that when we come together, when we find our identity rightly as a group, as a local church, in this way, this is part of our spiritual worship. This is part of our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is many bodies, one holy and living sacrifice. It's not self-promotion. It's corporate. It's sacrifice together. So the church can be confusing, complex. I touched on some of that today. There is so much more all bound up in that. And in the weeks to come, we'll, we'll touch on some other issues. But I want to be clear. This is who the church is. This is what we are for. The church is for discipleship. The church is for discipleship. And discipleship is for the world. So we engage the world through our discipleship to Jesus. The only way that the church is for the world is because the church is for discipleship. And we've been, if, if you're just joining us now, we just finished a month of talking about discipleship, about the Great Commission. So discipleship is central to who we are. And uh, if, if we ever say that discipleship is for the church, it's, it's only half true. The church is for discipleship. If we say discipleship is for the church, it's like we're living in a two-story building, a two-story life where we go upstairs and, you know, pray and talk to God. And then we go downstairs and we go to work and we clean dishes <laughs> and we set the budget and we reconcile the budget. But then we go back upstairs to small group and we study the Bible. Discipleship is not a two-story life. It's, it's a single-story, one-story life. And when we live that one-story life, we experience firsthand the brokenness and the beauty of the church. We experience the brokenness and the beauty of our own lives, and then together we experience the brokenness and beauty of our group identity as the bride of Christ. So here are some of the problems, the, the brokenness in, in church history, the black marks, corrupt leadership. Not always, but far too often. The church supported slavery in the early U.S. especially. 
the Inquisitions, the Crusades, the church back when it had political power <laughs> to do these things, is silenced the mouth of scientific truth and progress. If you know the story of Galileo, that's just one example. Division is a confusing thing. I grew up in a non-denominational church and I thought we were good because, you know, all the other denominations divided. And then I realized later, well, non-denominational is like another denomination. Um, it's true. Uh, and, and, and with that division, I mean, if you study church history, some of it's just different movements at different times in different places. The E-Free Church was just a different place. There was no internet. As the, as the Baptist movement was happening. So I look at them today and I'm like, wow, they, they're so similar. Um, but they didn't know each other. <laughs> so uh, it's also just sinful people living life together and making poor choices. And this is honestly, this has happened since the first century. When Paul went on mission trip, uh, he had a conflict with Mark and they parted ways. If, if you read the epistles to the church at Corinth, you know the church was messed up from the beginning. The church was broken from the beginning. There were leaders in Galatia and other places that got the gospel wrong. So the brokenness has been and is here and will be here. We've seen it in sexual scandals among leadership. We've seen hypocrisy. Many of you have probably seen these things played out in your lives firsthand. Churches that are more interested in nickels and noses than Christ and his mission. And, and, and this one might not sound as bad, but I think it's the worst. Sometimes the church has made Jesus sound boring and irrelevant to anything in our lives beyond getting us to heaven when we die. It's such a shame, such a two-story life. So is it any wonder that today we see Society drifting away from truth, church attendance is down, even committed church members go more infrequently. Uh, fewer people on a whole are going into ministry. Is, is it any wonder? Is it any wonder? It is. It, actually, it is a wonder that all of this is happening because when the people of God faithfully live out their identity, all of this brokenness, it, it pales in comparison to the beauty of God's people living out their identity as his beloved. And this is not an excuse for any of our problems, but I do believe this is the solution to them as we move towards the beauty of being God's beloved. Jesus prayed in John 17, beginning in verse 20, he said, I, I don't ask everything I've been asking in this prayer just on behalf of my disciples here with me today, but also for all who would believe in me through their word. He was praying for, for the church, that they may be one, that they all may be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, God the Son, and I in you, that they also may be in us, included into the divine nature is what he's praying, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He's praying that, that, that they, that the future followers of him, would be one with each other and one in the Godhead so that the world would see the beauty and the goodness of God shown through his people. So the church, here's what I mean when I say the church, and this Dallas Willard said it, the church is for discipleship. 
It means a called out group of people who are with Jesus and learning to be like Jesus. The church is for discipleship. We are with him and we're learning to be like him together. That is the defining feature of who we are. Not the music, not the preaching, not the building. And when this happens, not only is the group changed, not only am I changed and you changed and you changed, but the world around us is changed. Because this discipleship fits not just the called out ones, it fits the world. The world was meant for this relationship. And so Jesus' prayer shortly before going to the cross shows us that we can deal with our brokenness honestly because Jesus was broken for us. We can deal with the gap of who we are today and who Jesus is calling us to be, one with each other, one with he and the Father. Because in the midst of our brokenness, we can live beautifully because Jesus, the one who died, is alive and well in us, leading us into the beautiful life. The love that God has for his son is in us. God himself dwells with us. And so today I just want to look at a few of the many profound implications um, when we find our identity in Christ collectively as his bride. Uh, here's an implication. You're a part of something incredibly extraordinary. It might not feel that way. <laughs> it might not look that way when you park on grass and walk your way into an old building and sit on hard wooden pews. It won't show up on your news or even on your news feed. But what you, you all are a part of, what we are a part of, it's extraordinary. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us, that, that gets a lot of play, abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. Listen to this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. That's incredibly humbling to me. To him be glory, not only in Christ Jesus, God gets the glory through Christ, but also through the church. We, we don't deserve that type of glory. We are broken. But that's the life that God's offering us freely. And so we're part of something extraordinary. And I just got to say, we'll unpack this more as the series goes on. But your part, your part matters. Your part in what God is doing through his people, it matters. And so when you come across someone who has been hurt by the church, um, it's an opportunity you can actually apologize on behalf of the church. Because even though none of us individually are the whole church, we represent it. We are a part. And you don't have to apologize for the gospel at all, but there's, there's plenty of brokenness that we can humbly admit. Yeah, we are imperfect. We are far from perfect. And if, if that's you and you've been hurt and you're here today, I want to sincerely apologize for the wrong that others have done. I also want to thank you for being here and invite you to be part 
of the solution, part of the movement towards our right identity. And when you come across someone who claims to be a Christian but doesn't have community, you don't shame them and say, well, you're supposed to go to church if you want to be a good Christian. We also don't act like it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, well, you got a relationship with Jesus, so that's good. Um, you're good to go. You know, let's, you do you. That, that's not right at all. We pray for them, and we, we would invite them in. And it doesn't have to be this church. There are, there's a plethora of good, healthy churches in our area. But we're being fooled and lied to if we think that we don't need and we're not being called to live in community. So, so in summary, living out our God-given identity as the church, it reaches into every corner of our lives because discipleship, living with Jesus, learning to be like him, it is for all of life. It's a one-story life. And the church stands for discipleship. And that discipleship is offered to and makes a real difference in the world. What you do here, Sunday morning, what you do in small group, it makes, it has power to make a real difference in your work, in your leisure, in your thought life, in your addictions, all of it, every single square inch. So let's pray together. And God, we just want to ask that you would move us to become that type of church that acknowledges our own brokenness individually, collectively, historically, but that we would be defined by your beauty, your activity, your grace among us. And we would just stand in awe of the, the honor of being your beloved. It's, it's only by grace and it's all by grace that we stand in that place and that we move more and more to become like you. I pray that this, this week that would sink in to my heart, to our heart, that your love would move us to action. We want to be for discipleship. We want to give very practical action to that term, that truth. And in so doing, we, we want to be for the good of the world. And we know that there's no one or no thing better for us or better for the rest of the world than you, Lord Jesus.